Hey everybody, welcome back to the Third Deck Lounge podcast. Today I'm interviewing uh, Bijan Midian. He was in 3-6 from 2013 to 2017. He was an RO for India Company, deployed with the 24th Mew. After that, he went over to 81s for a while before getting orders out to uh, second CLR. Uh, he was there until ZAS, and then getting out, he became an LEO and then joined the uh, Navy Reserve, and currently uh, is in school for psychology. And I just want to welcome you to the show, man, and uh, how you doing? Oh, thanks for the introduction. Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, currently uh, just uh, hopping on here. You know, saw your uh, podcast, you know, Third Deck Lounge, L Street Mafia on Instagram and just came on here to talk about life, uh, life after the military and going back and switching branches and stuff as well as uh, finding your purpose out in the real world. Yeah, man. Sounds uh, sounds cool. We're going to get super into this. Um, so originally, where are you from? So originally, I'm from uh, the Bay Area, California, uh, Union City. So, uh, you know, born here, raised here, lived most of my life. Uh, before the Marine Corps, I did one year at a military boarding school for the Marines over in Harlingen, Texas, and, uh, you know, eventually went back to California and then graduated high school, and next thing you know, straight into boot camp. Bam, yeah, and that was uh, 2013, right, when you went? Yeah, June 2013, uh, I went to uh, MCRD San Diego. Damn, I was uh, I was a freshman in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's been a long time, yeah. you know, 10 years now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is ten years. Shit. Yeah. But um. So, what was your uh, experience like in the Marine Corps? Because I uh, I know you said you went to um San Diego for boot camp, and then I suppose you went on the West Coast to uh ITB, and then I assume your schoolhouse too. Yeah. So um, you know, growing up, I was kind of like a history nerd. You know, I loved watching the History Channel, like you know whatever documentaries on World War Two and you know, Vietnam and stuff like that. I've always loved, you know, this whole like military macho-ness, not necessarily because of like, you know, the bravado of the military, but also kind of the brotherhood. Uh, I had like a weird obsession with, uh, you know, watching like, you know, Marines and uh, both in Vietnam and uh, during World War II, you know, going up there, island hopping and stuff like that and dealing with, you know, austere environments and, you know, going through the shit. Uh, for some reason, I just really love like the flamethrower guy being oh, in the yeah. front line. Just carrying a, like a heavy backpack and just you know kind of being a specialty and then my other like you know favorite thing watching and getting to know about was like the radio guy and uh, i remember uh when i found out that there's no more flamethrowers in the marine corps and the military in general they got rid of them in the 70s uh you know after vietnam and stuff like that i was like huh i want to be in the front lines and you know i just want to carry a radio on my back and you know do as much as i can and uh, I remember walking into the Marine Corps recruiter's office and I was like, there's only three things I want. It's like, I want to be a radio operator. I want to be with the frontline guys and preferably I want to be in California. And I only got two of them. I got radio operator and, with, you know, thankfully with the infantry, with a victory unit. But I got a uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. But, you know, two out of three is still really good. Yeah, no, that's definitely that's sick, though. Uh, growing up, I, I also watched a lot of like the History Channel. I was always watching uh, World War Two in color and I watched the uh, Vietnam documentaries and stuff, too. I, I'd even crawl around on like YouTube and stuff, watching videos of just the different branches. And yeah, I was always big into like history in the military, too, growing up. It's always interesting to me. Yeah, so it's pretty awesome. And, uh, like, growing up, it sounds kind of nerdy, but, uh, you know, my dad always watched, like, Fox News because the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan right. and stuff like that. And I still remember being a kid and, you know, seeing 9-11 unfold 
So, you know, waking up one morning, getting ready to go to school and seeing 9-11 and then seeing how it played out over the years and stuff. And, you know, every day watching Marines on Fox and CNN and, you know, also the Army and the Navy and the Air Force out there kicking ass and, you know, doing what we got to do over there. Yeah. And um, it's actually interesting you mentioned that you're like the second person that I've met that's actually that, that can remember 9-11. I kind of want to ask you a little bit about it, but um, how, how old were you when that happened? I was about uh four, maybe five years old at that time. Uh, what I remember about it was is that uh, I was getting up, getting ready for school, and uh, my dad, you know, um, love him to death. He was watching the news and stuff, and I just remember walking downstairs with the backpack and stuff, and seeing on the TV the twin towers and smoke coming from it and stuff. And my dad was kind of glued to the screen, and my, uh, you know, my mom and me. I I was obviously too young to understand what was going on, but I just remember there was kind of like a profound sense of you know something's going on some some type of you know world changing event is happening before our eyes on the news yeah and definitely uh you know i was too young to understand it but i just remember like the feeling in the room was tense in the living room and stuff and i don't remember exactly if i went to school that day but i do know that the emotions and the mindset of the people around me was very it was very tense it was very um kind of a sudden and you're also everyone seemed on the edge about something about what's next and what's the next thing's going on yeah yeah it's definitely insane to think about mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, one person i talked to was telling me about how uh he was in middle school or maybe high school i think it was in high school but yeah there's everybody was around the tv at school and just watching all this go down and insane for them and uh yeah, and no, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about that, because uh, was that a big reason you joined? Uh, Well, I was young, so I honestly didn't know, like, the gravity and the global scale that 9-11 had on the United States, and also, like I said, on a global scale. But as I was growing up and, you know, getting older and starting to become more cognizant of the world around me, I would have to say that, you know, watching U.S. troops and allied nations, you know, house to house, street to street, Iraq and Afghanistan... It really did play a big part on me um, because a lot of my world started to revolve around this, the military and, you know, seeing our guys and gals out there fighting and, you know, huddled up together, the whole brotherhood thing. And I'd have to say that one big factor that played into it for me was that, uh, you know, I was, I was an only child. I have an older sister, but she lives in, you know, in another state and stuff. So it was kind of that whole, like having a purpose and having you know, being part of something bigger than yourself, that kind of drew me towards it. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I guess back to where we, we were. Sorry, I just wanted to go down that rabbit hole for a second. But uh, so then you showed up the three. How was, how was getting the humidity over uh, the dry heat from growing up and living in California all the time? Yeah. So where I live, it's, you know, kind of the San Francisco Bay Area. You got San Francisco, Oakland, and San Jose. So I wasn't really exposed much towards, like, you know, extreme humidity. I'd have to say my uh, first real taste of it um, was more when I went to San Diego because I went during the summer in 2013. And so I just remember it was super hot as fuck. And, you know, obviously it's boot camp. You're getting fucking slayed, thrown around, and stuff like that. Uh, (laughs) Lost a shit ton of weight, (laughs) thankfully. But, um the heat, it certainly played a part. And I just remember even in boot camp, just like t- chugging a shit ton of fucking water through those fucking canteens. And obviously you remember drinking a fucking canteen at night and holding that 
stupid fucking thing over your head and you know experiencing it so oh yeah the heat was a bitch for sure but uh getting used to it um it wasn't so hard on me uh like i'm used to it after a while i just you know acclimate to it yeah and then how long was it before you ended up uh deploying with 24th 24th mu so uh i went through boot camp the summer of 2013 graduated september 13th uh 2013 and obviously went to MCT and then comm school. My comm school was a little bit longer because it was during the Thanksgiving Christmas time. Mm. So I didn't actually get to Camp Lejeune uh, until February 2014. And that's when I checked in to 3-6, me and a few other guys. We were both in comm school together and stuff. So uh, coming to North Carolina uh, during February, it was cold, rainy and stuff like that. But it was still a little bit groggy just because it's the Carolinas and stuff. So what I remember is that it was just, it was really wet and damp and, you know, humidity in the air and stuff. Uh, checked in and, you know, immediately got straight to work. Damn. Yeah. How was the deployment? Uh, the deployment for me, um, it was, it was, there was good times and there was bad times. Um, for anyone who was like with me, you know, like I struggled a lot, not necessarily, uh, both military side as well as stuff going on back home. Um, you know, I did what I could and, you know, I just kind of kept my head down, but, uh, you know, I kind of had like a bad reputation, got NJP'd on deployment, but looking back on it, um, you know, we didn't really do anything as far as like combat or going to like, you know, specific things and stuff. But I just remember that, um, you know, I was around a solid group of guys, uh, you know, life mentors and stuff like that you know pushing me and you know working with me and stuff like that and also kind of getting me out of my comfort zone which i de definitely needed to do um uh, i'm thankful for the experience and thanks for the guys um a lot of the issues um you know that me personally that i had with deployment was more like in my head and stuff and dealing with things back home and dealing with myself growing up because you know, 18, 19, just turning 20 and stuff like that. I was still young, still immature. And that cockiness that you get when you first join the Marine Corps, I had to like break that. And, and I also needed a lot of help from the other people around me who needed to like, you know, kind of like push me to break that mindset that I was in. A lot of the, uh, like, you know, I was dealing with a lot of mental stuff um, that I had to overwork and overcome with. But eventually when I came back and, you know, I grew out of that whole mindset and I started, you know, working harder and, you know, working to prove myself. That's when uh, things got a lot better. And, you know, I started to really respect the people around me and become more thankful over the years of, you know, the good people, the bad people, and, you know, understand that the life lessons that came with it. Yeah. It's very interesting. You mentioned all that because uh, I was kind of the same way I was when I first uh, hit the fleet and just those first two years was like a really big adjustment period for me, just uh, mentally and maturity-wise too, because I I wasn't the perfect uh, junior Marine by any means. I kind of got a bad reputation to myself, but um, and at the time, I had to learn a lot of like hard lessons that at the time I didn't appreciate, but looking back on it, I definitely needed, and I honestly wish I would have been different and stuff. I probably would have been closer to my seniors, uh, during that time but um it definitely there were there were lessons i needed to learn and uh that i'm grateful for too but yeah i'm a, I'm a lot closer with my seniors now nowadays i uh, still talk to a few of them but um yeah i know at the time i was uh i was not a popular person of the platoon <laughs> yeah, no, i i, yeah. I resonate a lot with that and 
like I mentioned earlier, before we started recording, it's uh, looking back, you know, like I said, I'm thankful for the good experiences and the bad experiences, mm -hmm. the struggles I went through and stuff. Granted, a lot of it was mostly in my head, not necessarily that there's outside forces working against me and stuff. Yep. But the battle is mostly within my mind. And, you know, I kind of feel bad that, you know, I kind of had to like, you know, it kind of drooped out into my personal and professional life whatever I was working out or whatever I was trying to overcome in my mind and stuff. But uh, regardless, uh, I'm, st I'm thankful for the good, the bad, the ugly and stuff, because if it wasn't for the negative experiences and, you know, trying to figure out how to go from, you know, basically being an unpopular bitch in the platoon or whatever, and also <laughs> figuring out, like, how do I get out of this? How do I work on myself and stuff? And, you know, knife life knocked me down in the Marine Corps getting NJP'd and stuff. And, at the time, I was really bitter about it, but looking back, I'm thankful for the hardships because they ultimately created who I am today and what type of person I am with, you know, my level of integrity, you know, how I carry myself and what type of mindset I have going forward within my life. Yeah, I'm definitely grateful. I, I definitely, uh, uh, I definitely can connect with that a lot too, because uh, some of my seniors too, because uh, they didn't know at first that I was running this and then kind of I was like, oh, hey, by the way, it's uh, it's me. And then they were like, holy shit, what? And then they were uh, just, you know, they were kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, I could have, I, I may have been too rough with you. And so and I was like, no, no, like, don't feel bad about that at all. I like I needed that. And I uh, I definitely was uh, was a fuck up. So I, you know, this, it, this is what I needed. And I'm like grateful for it because it turned me into who I am now. And yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the most uh, important lessons and like kind of verbiages that I like stuck with me was uh, we had a uh, a commo. He was a Mustang recon Marine. Uh, his name's uh, Jason Stewart. Uh, he told me and he told everyone not like directed at me, but he always said, um, I don't care about what you are. I care about who you are. And, you know, whenever he said that, it kind of like, you know, sparked something in me because it's something that stuck with me even outside the Marine Corps and what I do in the what I do in law enforcement and like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good things to uh to think about. And yeah, I, I had a lot of uh a lot of little sayings too that I, I took away from uh from leaders that uh I connected with that definitely it was a lot of like uh like the more I thought about it, the more I kinda matured a little bit and you know, started putting it into practice and stuff. So I definitely learned a lot from that stuff. Mm -hmm. But um so I suppose when you got back from the 24th Mew, is that when you went, went over to the uh, 81th platoon until you hit uh, CLR? No, uh, when we got back, it was July 2015. And obviously, uh, you know, when you get back from deployment, you start uh, the, the senior guys and stuff like that who were on the Okinawa deployment before. They start trickling out and, you know, getting out of the Marine Corps, gone on with their lives. And, um, you know, at that time, it's like, oh, thank God, you know, now the boys are <laughs> on the show. But... Looking back, you know, I just hope if they're still out there, you know, at least they're happy. They're, you know, living a good life and, you know, they're healthy. That's that's all I want for people, even if the people at that time, like, I didn't really care much towards or I didn't give a thought towards. Um, but getting back from the deployment, July 2015, um, I started to like, notice a shift in the whole comm shop as well as in 3.6 because now it's the people that I was juniors with now we're running the show. Now people who know me and what type of person I am on a more personal level, instead of just a name, a face and, you know, a rank on a collar, they, they know my worth and they know my work ethic. And so that's when I started working better and finding my niche within the Marine Corps, which ironically was, you know, working the comm vault and stuff and working in there, 
as an, uh, you know, senior E3, I guess you can say, I started to find out like once I had that responsibility and I had that position, I started to, you know, work hard towards it, you know, become more proficient in my craft, become more proficient in my area. So then that way I can bounce back from, you know, whoever I was or whatever I was on the 24th meal. And that's when, you know, I started loving my job, not necessarily the Marine Corps, but loving my little niche, you know, responsibility in my projects, my, my area. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's really good. Cause I, that's kind of at the same time that I started to kind of appreciate all those same things too. I, I still had a lot to, to learn and a pretty far way to go, but that's kind of when I started to just, uh, I don't know, it just started to click and I just started to appreciate why everything was kind of the way it was. I still complained way too much, but there definitely was, um, everything kind of had its reason yeah i i agree fully with that everything has its uh there it has its reason and it's, you know there's a bigger picture and stuff like that but you know being young and still kind of bitching and moaning and stuff i was so focused on the paint i wasn't really seeing the bigger picture until right. I got it. yeah yeah i yeah. definitely agree with that then um heading over to seal second clr up to uh, your EAS, how was uh, how was that experience? Like coming going from an infantry unit over to a uh, over just normal. Uh, I don't know how to really call it like a normal because uh, that's within an MLG, right? Within a logistics battalion. Yeah, yeah. So, the right term. Yeah. So actually, during the second workups, uh, the second Yuma, or as I like to jokingly say, the push to Yuma. Um, there was an incident where uh, one of the radio operators, I'm not going to name, I'm not going to say his name. I still love and respect him to this day and stuff. Uh, he had like a medical thing going on. So one of my good friends, uh, he was prior, he was on the 24th meal with 81s. And so they called him back up and cause he was the only one, he came up to me. He's like, Hey Maddie, and you want to go out to, you know, go out to the field with these guys instead of sitting on Fab Laguna. Uh, you know, like love to work with you and stuff. And so that's where I kind of worked with them, got to know them. And I started like, you know, loving being back out there with the guys and stuff working. And, you know, I got to do some cool things, you know, lob a few mortars and stuff. Uh, after Yuma, towards the end, um, I'd start talking to leadership and they liked me. Um, and they're like, hey, we'd really like to have you for this deployment and stuff. And so I was like, well, gentlemen, with all due respect, like a I kind of said it a little bit tongue in cheek, a little bit facetiously, but you know, if you pull me, man of my word, I'll, I'll reenlist right in front of you. I'll shake your hand and everything. And they kind of took me up on that and they talked to the comma and they're like, yeah, hey, uh, it looks like 81s wants to pull you. And I was like, oh, great, awesome. You know, I'd love to go out there again. Let's do it. And I remember um, right after Yuma, we got a handful of us went on the to Flea Week Manhattan over in 2016 and stuff. So. While I was helping uh, one of my friends in the comm shop with a uniform thing, I think it was like sewing on a button or something, our mass sergeant approached us and he's like, hey, Manny, and I want to talk to you. Like, yes, mass sergeant. He's like, hey, it looks like 81s wants to pull you, um, but you don't have enough time. What do you want to do? And I was like, okay, well, can I extend? And he said, well, no, uh, Marine Corps is not accepting extensions for radio operators at that time, something along those lines. And I said, okay, well, can I just, uh, you know, Reenlist for one year or two is like ah nah Marine Corps really needs radio operators and I said okay so you're telling me the only option is is that I reenlist for four more years and said, yep I said hey Master give me a minute so I mean I was a heavy smoker at that time so I went over to the smoke pit 
on ship and stuff like that. And that's where I saw some of the other, you know, junior mortarmen. And I just remember talking to them and I was just like shooting the shit with them, you know, like, oh yeah, I remember Yuma, ha 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 ha. And it clicked on my head. I was like, hey, gentlemen, I got a question. I was like, hey, 81s wants to pull me. And I really love you guys. I really bond with you guys. And I understand what you guys' mindset. You know, sometimes you're cool with the corporals and sergeants. Sometimes, you know, you guys are fucking, you know, head facing the dirt and you just got to work. And so I think that in my heart, I'm going to re-enlist. Not because of the Marine Corps, not because of the cake, not because of, you know, all the little, you know, fancy dancy Marine Corps commercials, but it's because of you guys. I actually care about you guys. And, you know, I want to be the mentor to you guys that I never got when I first checked in. And I wasn't trying to make it like a profound thing to them. You know, if they took it as that, you know, cool, awesome. That wasn't really what I was trying to relay. It was more like I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit of me for you guys. I was more or less telling myself that, not necessarily them. And so once I told them that, I went back into the birthing on ship and I said, hey, Master Sergeant, um, you know what? Let's do this. And at that time, everything was going great. You know, everything was going solid. I went back. And my time in the Marine Corps, I've always been like a heavy, stocky dude. But it was kind of weird because I've never really fallen out, flak runs, whatever, going on the T runs on PT Road. I never had an issue with that, but I was always a big guy. And granted, I mean, my diet and my health wasn't shit. I wasn't really going to the gym. And I wasn't really taking care. I was like drinking Monsters and Red Bulls to keep me up during the day and smoking like a choo-choo train. But, uh... You know, did a heightened weight over at the S3, and I got told I was 19% body fat. And so I was like, oh, yeah, hey guys, it looks like I can't realist. I'm sorry. And it bothered me more on the inside because I couldn't keep a promise to other people who I actually, like, genuinely care about. And it also bothered me heavily because I can't be a man of my word. And if you can't have your word, then what type of integrity do you have as an individual? So then I got cut orders to CLR2 beginning of August 2016. And immediately once I got in there, you know, and service alphas and all checked in, did a heightened weight, and I got told, oh, hey, you're not 19% body fat, you're 14% body fat. And I was like, wait a second, do it again. Okay, da-da-da-da, do the heightened weight, tape everything. Yeah, you're 15, 14, 15, 14. And after a while, it kind of clicked in my head that something was off. You know, I'm coming from a unit, you know, the boys over at 3-6 and getting told I've always been overweight. And I go to another unit, and I check in, and they're like, yeah, you're well within standards. There's nothing wrong with you. So I kind of clicked in my head and for a while I was really bitter about it because I was like, wow, I, you know, basically life or, you know, I don't know, individuals or whatever kind of cut me out of whatever my ultimate goal or dream was. And that was the first time it's ever really happened to me. But, you know, coming into CLR2, my mindset was I'm going to come in with a blank slate. You know, I'm new here. I just want to get to know people. I don't know anyone. Obviously, be respectful. Good morning, good afternoon to everyone, regardless of rank. Um, there was a lot of growing pains. Uh, the gunny over in the data shop, he was prior 3-6, so my seniors were his juniors. And the mass sergeant was also the main the, of the maintenance section. He actually, uh, you know, he deployed with us, so he knew some of us and he knew some of the people, not necessarily me. He was a different ship. And, you know, new unit and stuff, new life. It was... A lot of the growing pains came necessarily from, you know, being in 3-6, you're doing all this crazy stuff, night and day, going to the field here and there, all this crazy, you know, cogs moving in the machine and stuff to, you know, kind of being in the back of the bus type of unit, not necessarily discrediting the work and the efforts of the men and women in second MLG or any MLG, but it wasn't what I was used to. So I kind of had to figure out how to slow down and kind of 
you know, understand how to be a leader in different aspects instead of what I was used to and what I was accustomed to with three six. Right. Yeah, I gotta imagine it's a pretty big adjustment too, and then coming from whatever it is they did, whether they fucked it up or if they were on, they did it on purpose or whatever. That yeah, that's that's definitely a rough, uh, rough period to be adjusting to. And then, um, yeah. did you get cut to second CLR specifically because of your height and weight? No, no, it wasn't specifically because of my height and weight. Um, that's just that's just the Marine Corps. You know, the Marine Corps sends you where they need you and right. stuff noticed about the second mlg is that um when you come from division second mlg or even the wing kind of just where they send you when like mm. you're kind of at the, you know the cusp of your career and stuff uh, um, gotcha. there's new people who come in straight from the schoolhouse whatever their mls is and they go over there and they you know that's that's their life and then there's also people who come from other units to kind of like okay you only have a few months left we'll just send you over here to you know do god's work and stuff and pass down what right. you know yeah yeah it's all great stuff man it's uh it's weird sometimes how how things play out and then just kind of wondering whether you know it's all part of the plan or what um you know why things happen then, yeah um, sometimes uh i think that we'll never really know that answer or you know it's there's something more bigger going on and stuff and i don't think i'll ever get the answer to that and you know what that's okay i'm yeah. happy like i said with the experiences and I'm, whatever lessons that needed to be you know taught at that time i'm glad i learned it Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I can agree with that. Um, so from that point, did you get out pretty, uh, I don't know how soon you got out after that, but. So, uh, to answer that, um, my first year over there, well, you know, from August to December, uh, I was a little bit arrogant, a little bit cocky. And I really, I don't want to say I did a big disservice to the junior Marines, but I was kind of like, I still had that chip on my shoulder. Uh, I came from 3-6, blah, blah, blah. We did it this way, da, 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 da. And, you know, I would say uh, I probably uh, rubbed some people the wrong way. And, you know, I got to live with that. I, you know, made my peace with that and stuff. And, you know, still kind of reached out and said, like, hey, if I ever was a douche to you, like, you know, I apologize. It's That's why it was in the past. But um, I was just kind of there doing my thing, you know, accountability doing the record jackets doing the day-to-day -day, monday through friday stuff teaching learning different aspects okay they do it different over here and they do it different compared to three six all that kind of daily minutiae um i would say that it didn't really hit me or affect me that i was you know away from what i considered my family you know the people that i love to death and you know would go on a deployment go to any field op with until probably February 2017, that's when 3-6 left to go on another Mew. And I remember that day because I took a day off work. I talked to my sergeant, like, hey, sergeant, uh, my unit 3-6, they're leaving a day. Is it all right if I take the day off work and just, you know, go say goodbye? I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. So I took the day off, and I remember going back to HP 301 and, you know, seeing all my old Marines. Like, hey, guys, I got the day off. What do you guys need help with? Like, oh, hey, could you, like, load up all the gear and the bags in the back of your car? Yeah, sure, no problem. Okay, we're meeting up in front of the, uh, the like, football field and stuff. We're going to – that's our staging point for the buses. Okay, cool, cool. And then I called all the other Marines that, we like, you know, left 3-6. I was like, hey, guys, uh, they're leaving today. We got to come over. We got to say goodbye. So we all went over there, said hey, saw the old guys, helped them out moving their bags and stuff like that. and uh took our last pictures and i remember uh leaving uh that football field and uh i cried like a bitch on the way back to french creek i was listening to like music and stuff and it really 
it really hit me hard in the heart and stuff seeing all my friends and my family heading on the buses going on another you know deployment overseas and i'm stuck here no one really left and all my other friends who like left 36 they're slowly getting out they got a month or two left before they got out of the marine corps entirely and so i truly felt alone and i remember checking back into my unit uh kind of kept my head down held my cover over my face and stuff went into smoke pit and I probably smoked half a pack of cigarettes just crying and bawling my eyes out because, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't there with my, the people I love to death, my family. Yeah, for me, it, it hit me probably not really when I was getting out. I had this like delayed effect with that. And I think once uh, I was out and things got, I, I know not everybody has like a rough EAS, but. I think everybody kind of has their own like adjustment period too when they're getting out. But for me, it was when uh, things were getting really hard and I was just replaying all these memories and stuff in my head. And, you know, I missed all my buddies and shit. That's kind of when I had my little like uh, come to moment sometimes. And yeah, it definitely, I, I definitely understand completely how that feels. It's, uh, it's definitely uh, rough. And then just, uh, I don't know, another thing too was like hearing that all my like junior dudes are going on deployment and stuff. It didn't, it didn't bother me crazy hard because I'd already been out for a while and stuff, but it was just like, damn, I'm really like, you know, disconnected from this stuff and off doing life. And yeah, I definitely had my moments where I felt like really alone. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. Um, my bitterness and kind of uh, resentment towards the Marine Corps uh, was towards the end of my time in CLR too, because uh, I, I by no means like you know view anyone, regardless of race, religion, whomever they consensually you know go to bed with and do their thing with. I don't view anything negatively. I care more about you know their heart and character. That's just how I've always been raised, growing up in a Christian household. Um, but I started to notice this whole kind of like you know us versus them or oh he can't talk to me like that because i'm this way and because i'm that way and stuff when i never you know express any animosity or anger towards anyone but i started to kind of like oh hey so and so is complaining about you because they want to assume you're this way or like you're sexist or you're misogynist or oh you view them differently instead of this i don't have any type of ill will towards anyone it's just i we have a job to get done and there was an incident where um uh, because in the second MLG, they don't understand more of the combative groundside stuff. Like, for example, getting kill cards. I spent my own time and money, you know, getting all my junior Marines, uh, you know, information to make custom kill cards. And one of the gunnies pulled me aside and he's like, hey, one of my junior Marines saying that you're this way or that way. I said, none of that's true. You can ask the other Marines who were there and stuff like none of this is personal or none of this is, you know, towards anyone directly. I don't care who you, I don't care about, you know what you are all i see is you as a marine on your blouse i don't care you know whatever you claim to be um but i showed him these kill cards and i was like you know what gunner sergeant with all due respect i got like four maybe five months left in this marine corps and i took off my corporal chevrons I was like if i can't do anything and if any no matter how many times like people want to make these claims about me just take these corporal chevrons i just don't care anymore i really don't there's nothing there's nothing for me here i just want to ride it out and get out he actually pulled me aside and he talked to me man on man and you know i understand you're coming from three six and i was three six and you are a good person you have a good heart and i'm sorry you're going through these things and i'll talk to my guys on you know the back end and stuff but you know keep doing what you do because i know that you're doing more than just a monday through friday whatever zero six to sixteen hundred and so 
and I just wanted to pass on what I know. Like I'd make sure, help them, you know, set up, you know, put together their flax, you know, make sure that their Kevlars are neat and on point and stuff, get them the cat eyes, get them the extra gear, show them like, okay, maybe this works for you. Maybe that worked for you. But after that whole incident and a few others, I kind of was just like, I'm over it. And I don't care. No matter what I try and do or say, it just gets shot down. So I, I honestly, I stopped giving a shit, stopped working out, you know, back to smoking and drinking and, you know, dominoes and all that bullshit and not giving a shit. And there was this gunnery sergeant, uh, his name is Gunny Janice at that time, at least solid old school O3 tatted up arms and everything up to his neck, everything, the initial push to Iraq, Fallujah. He's been there, done that, all that. And he talked to me in the smoke pit and he's like, you know, wanted to see what's going on with my mindset. Cause he knew me for a while and stuff. And he reached out to me and he told me, he's like, Median, you're a good Marine. You're a good person. You're just not in a unit that maybe will appreciate that. And I'm not discrediting CLR2 or the 2nd MLG as a whole. Like I said, I love everyone who's put on a uniform, regardless of branch, regardless of MLS. But hearing that really resonated with me because someone was actually taking time to reach out and talk to me as a man instead of just, you know, Marine to Marine. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to cut the bullshit. I'm going to, you know, get back in the gym, work out and everything. I'm going to put in a reenlistment package. And what he did was actually really cool for me because... He called the monitor for my MOS when we're down at uh, the regiment and I'm in the, you know, prior, you know, whatever, the career planner's office. And he's like, hey, I got this solid Marine here. He's a good guy. Here's his VIPI. I pulled him up and he handed the phone to me. And next thing you know, here's Corporal Medion talking with the mass sergeant on the other over at the Pentagon or whatever. And he's like, hey, what's going on, man? Like, pulled up your information. Yeah, I see you're three six. And yeah, yeah, you got this belt and McMap and you went over here on the 24th Mew. Cool. What do you want to do? And I was like, uh, mass sergeant, uh, Preferably, I just want to go back to division. And in California, it's like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Where do you want to go? You want to go tanks? You want to go artillery? I said, Master Arm, wherever they need me. And it's like, all right, cool. Third tracks, Del Mar, that's where you need to go. And it's like, they're hurting bad. And it's like, we'll send you over there right now. Just send up just send up your reenlistment package, and I'll send you over there right now. And then later that day, I get an email. I was like, yeah, you have uh, you got standby orders for third tracks. Damn. And that, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was super cool and super unique, small little experience like that. And I sent him my package and everything. Um, I was told to run one more PFT. And I ran it, and then I failed the run. Kind of gaffed it off. I didn't really care. I was like, okay, max, max, and relax. I guess I relaxed too hard. <laughs> <laughs> and so I failed the PFT. But granted, I was also, like, really, like, trying to cut back on all, like, my healthy habits within, like, a month and a half, two-month period. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. after that PFT, my uh, my, my gunny... The platoon sergeant for the comm shop. He pulled me aside. Like, hey, Midian. So yeah, you failed your PFT. Your two options are this: you can either send up your reenlistment package with the failed PFT and roll the dice, or you can just get out and cut your losses and then maybe come back in later or go reserves. I was like, all right, cool. Um, and at that time, I was like, you know what? Uh, honestly, I think it's I think it's time I hang this uniform up. I think I'm done. And so. The last three weeks, next thing you know, I'm cramming in fucking TRS. I'm cramming in, turning in my gear, washing them. I'm cramming in, getting all the signatures, and okay, I'm moving out, cleaning the barracks room, everything. And next thing you know, July 2017, I uh, loaded up my 2001 Blackford Escape with all the stuff I had for my room, all the memories, uniforms, and everything, and I'm driving off Camp Lejeune one last time. And how did uh, EAS go for you when, um, I guess, those first couple months home? 
<laughs> it's actually kind of funny because I, I really didn't have a plan. And I put all my eggs in one basket. And, you know, it's happened to me before in my life where I put all of my eggs in one basket and the basket breaks. Now I'm lost and I'm kind of confused. So initially my plan was just I'm going to go north. I'm going to go see my friends in Pennsylvania, whatever, Massachusetts. With my last paycheck, I'm just going to go north. And I got to Virginia and my car breaks down. And I don't have a lot of money saved up because I dumped everything to get my car fixed at the Firestone on base on Camp Lejeune. And so here I am in a different state late at night. Car broke down. I don't have anywhere to go. I don't have enough money to make a long stay. Thankfully, Firestone acknowledged that the fault was on their end because they're the liable ones. Whoever was fixing the tires fucked up on Camp Lejeune. Mm. So there's a lot of parts I had to get fixed. And I was calling my friends around. Hey, do you live in Virginia? Do you live nearby? Like, I'm on Instagram, on Facebook. And there was no one, but somehow out of the woodworks, uh, some like you know, Mothers of Marines kind of group, you know, picked me up. And I stayed at this random old lady's house with her 40 year old stay at home son for about a week. I was living on the couch and didn't know them and stuff. And, you know, they're cooking me meals and stuff. But Firestone kept saying, oh, we're waiting for this specific part going on and on. So I was just kind of, you know, keeping it myself. I didn't know who this was. I didn't know where I was. I was like, I think in like Richmond, Virginia or something like that. And, you know, fresh out of the Marine Corps, I don't have anything to my name except my car and all my bags were in the car that was, you know, lifted up at Firestone. And it took about a week until they fixed it. They finally fixed it. And then I was just like, well, I, I really got to like put this whole visiting everyone on hold and my closest family was in Indiana, so the moment I got in my car, I drove straight through the night to Indianapolis. And about three in the morning before, I was so deadbeat tired, I was just driving through all these states. Uh, I slept on like this little park recreation rest stop area uh, on the border between Ohio and Indianapolis, and I like slept for three hours. I was a little bit nervous, scared because it was like a shady area, so I mm -hmm. like slept the keys, you know, on my lap and stuff like that, trying to close my eyes and be safe and stuff. And then I finally got to Indianapolis and uh, saw my family over there and stayed there for a little bit. And my sister really wanted me to push to, uh, you know, go to school and stuff. And I was like, oh, all right, do school over there. And we looked at this community college. and I was like, all right, how long until I can go over to the big league colleges? And I was like, well, they haven't accepted a new offer plan with the veterans. So you're actually going to have to do a whole year. And each quarter semester, I don't remember what it was, you're going to have to take six classes to catch up from high school because I wasn't – I did the bare minimum in high school, and I was like, oh, hell no. Like, I'm not coming straight to the Marine Corps and going to hit six classes. Yeah, and, that's, know, that's a lot. <laughs> that's too much. That is too much. Yeah. <laughs> I worked uh, through my family, friends' connections and all that, and my sister's connections. I was working as a supervisor for this staffing company. So I was making $10 an hour in Indianapolis, living with my sister and my brother-in-law, just kind of couch surfing a little bit. After about a month of that, uh, I was just like, you know what? Um, I think it's time I come home to California. And she's like, are you sure about that? And, you know, like, you know, do you want to go back to living with, you know, your old man and stuff? Do you want to do that? Like, there, there's, you have much more opportunities out here than you do back home. And I was like, honestly, there isn't really much for me out here and stuff. So I uh, actually, you know, flew back home and I left most of my stuff over there and went back to California and uh, tried to figure it out for a while. And then I worked construction for three years as a low voltage electrician. And my life at that point, I was living life heavily on autopilot. I wasn't happy. Um, 
even my friends, you know, we're at the same recruiting station. Some were doing all right. Some were, you know, needed to get back in and some were still trying to figure it out. But we all like kind of stuck together as a veteran community and stuff. That sounds weird and cheesy, but uh, <laughs> we're still kind of like, you know, good friends, not like, you know, best friends and all that, but kind of drinking buddies and all that with recruiters. So I was always around the Marine Corps and the veteran community. But it felt weird kind of being an outsider looking in and stuff because I couldn't shake that Marine Corps brotherhood and family for so long. And for the longest time, I was lost. Uh, thankfully, one of my good friends, uh, three, six together, basically my life mentor and stuff like that. One of the few people who actually like reached out and talked to me on deployment and stuff. He was working active duty over at the nearby reserve unit and stuff. And he tried to like, he was talking to me, mentoring me, getting me back in the whole gym and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm thankful for him. His name is Kai Hall. He's out now and stuff, but he's a, a really good dude. He deserves a shout out and, you know, keeping me level headed and stuff and really sitting down with stuff. Yeah. Yeah. When I was, um, when I got out, I remember that, uh, I had the same thing going on. I couldn't really connect with other people and I don't know what it was like just being in, in college the first year. It was like, whenever I'd hit my lowest points, it was when I'd meet someone else that was a vet and we'd all just kind of like, it, it was cool because whenever we met each other, even though like we never served together or we even had like even knew each other it was like that instant like kind of friendship and you know we'd just be like shooting the shit getting to know each other like you know figuring out like what branch and stuff we were in but like every time the conversation was almost over we'd be like hey man what's your snapchat like you fucking and like how, like how are you doing like how are you actually doing and shit like they gave a fuck and it was it was weird because being with around other people like majority of people you know it's just i don't know this society too is just everybody's so like self-centered and just focused on themselves and the idea of like you know like like genuinely giving a fuck about other people is kind of reserved for their family and and like very very close friends that they have but it's always like it's always a unique thing and it always comes back to that brotherhood and always it like transcends services and stuff i think i don't know i think that was always cool like it was always uh there's always somebody i'd run into that would always kind of pick me up whenever i was down and was always be, it would always be like at random times too yeah i agree heavily and what i noticed is that for a while i was kind of living vicariously and i was still like oh okay you're going to the field okay uh keep me up to date and stuff like that. What are you guys doing and stuff like that? And one of my friends, he's like, Hey man, you got to stop. You got to stop being focused on this and, you know, trying to figure out what's going on in the Marine Corps. You know, you're out of the Marine Corps. You got to, you got to shake that off and you got to move forward with your life. And working as a low voltage electrician, I mean, I was doing like fire alarms and fiber optics cables and stuff like that. And doing all this like heavy, cool stuff at job sites and schools and stuff. But for the longest time, I was still living very, I was living life on autopilot, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, even $30 in California, that's basically gas money right there. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and so I still struggled a lot with that whole thing. And finally, like the guy I mentioned, Kai Hall, who was living with us, he's like, hey, why don't you just go reserves and come work under me like we did on the 24th Mew? And I was like, you know what? Let's do it. So we got back in shape. He motivated me to go back to the gym because he's still busting his butt, you know, as a staff sergeant over at a 23rd regiment working active duty and stuff. And he knew all, 
you know, some of the guys I went to high school with who joined the reserves and stuff. And this is where the story kind of gets like really kind of like out of my favor in Navy reserves. So I had my DD-214 and I was like, hey, I'm going to go uh, talk to a prior service recruiter. I'll work under you. We'll like, you know, because we live together. We can carpool, go to work. If I ever want to like get away from the real world, I get some active duty orders to the reserves and stuff and we'll figure it out. So I went to a prior service recruiter uh, for the Marines and I had my DD-214 in hand. Everything was good. I talked to him and, you know, show up to the reserve station. I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. Typed up on my information and stuff like that. And he's like, hold on, hold on. Some, something's not adding up here. I was like, okay, what's going on, Sergeant? And he's like, all right, so your reentry code is a little messed up. And I said, oh, well, it's here on my paperwork. It's a one alpha. I'm good to go. And it's like, okay, well, in the system, it says something different. So myself, the prior service recruiter sergeant, we made a phone call over to IPAC Lejeune and talked to a chief warrant officer. And the chief warrant officer said, like, yeah, because, uh, you know, he failed his last PFT. Uh, we changed his reentry code uh, weeks after he already left and signed his DD-214. So in the system, my entry code was a 3PAPA, and 3PAPA in the Marine Corps is disabled, overweight, or unfit for duty. And here I am, you know, much better shape than I was when I was in the Marine Corps. Looking at him, I was like, well, what does that mean? Do you want me to run a PFT? Do you want me to sign a waiver? Like, what do you want me to do? And obviously, the Marine Corps is very black and white. When it comes to things like this, it's always been black and white when it comes to the rules and regulations, which is a good thing when you want to like see the seriousness and you know how professional it is, but it also kind of hinders a lot of people where you have to look at them case by case. So right. I was like, all right, what do I do? What do I do? So he's like, all right, send up a DD-214, a different one over to the Naval Board of Corrections. And this is May 2018. I was like, all right, cool. So May 2018, I sent up a letter to Naval Board of Corrections, but obviously, you know, once you get out, the Marine Corps is going to flood your, you know, Gmail or Yahoo, whatever, with like, hey, come back in, come back in, your MLS right. is in high demand, your MLS is in high demand. Oh, do you miss the Brotherhood? Do you miss all this? You know, all the, like, yeah. geez, they can get you to get <laughs> back in. So uh, I kept, like, reaching out, reaching out. It eventually got to a point where I was at a job site, and I get a call from a lieutenant colonel of recruiting uh, down in San Diego. He's like, hey, this is uh, Lieutenant Colonel So-and-so, and, -so, and uh, I'm speaking to uh, Bajan Medellin. I was like, uh, yes, sir, this is him. He's like, oh, cool. I wanted to talk to you a little bit. Uh, your MOS is in high demand, and we want to see if you want to come back in. So I took off from work, and I went back into my car, and I talked to him. And I basically said something to the effect of, sir, I think it's kind of BS how it's like, you know, you're sending all these emails, and the Marine Corps is hurting, the Marine Corps is hurting, and here I am raising my hand high up in the sky, and I'm like, I'm ready. Let's do this, and I have to jump through all these hurdles. And I talked to him, and he's like, you know, I, I – Gave him my EIPI, and he's like, yeah, I see in the system, I see what's going on. I said, sir, what is what are my options? Because honestly, I just want to come back in, and you know, I don't even care about the deployments of the Marine Corps. I just want to teach the guys what I know as a radio operator and move forward in life. And he told me, it's like, well, your two options are to send the DD form, which I already did, or you can go to another branch and come back. And so I met one mass sergeant who went to the National Guard, finished out his time in the Marine Corps and stuff. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll start looking at other uh, recruiters for other branches and stuff like that if this Marine Corps letter, this DD-214 correction form doesn't go through. So two months pass, I get a letter back from the Naval Board. Now we're in July 2018. And the letter basically says, hey, we got your letter, but it's going to take about a year to a year and a half to open your case because uh, we're backlogged. 
And I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> good to go. That's uh, that's good old DoD for you right there, especially the Marine Corps. And uh, so at that time, I sat on it for a little bit, about a week, and I was like, you know what, like, I want to go back in. I, I don't want to say I need the military in order to be successful, but how I viewed it was it's always better to have a solid plan B than no plan A. And so I was like, at least if I can, you know, have the military as a back burner, at least if I can scratch that itch, at least if I can like put it on my resume or whatever, at least if like, I have a purpose, I'll feel good about myself. And I don't want to make it sound like I need the mil- Like I said, I don't want to make it sound like I need the military to be successful or happy in life. But like I said, there wasn't really much going for me on in life. So I'd rather go back to something, a familiar environment instead of just roll the dice and you know, go through the pitfalls and ups and downs of life alone. So I uh, started looking around at other branches. I talked to the National Guard. You know, they're like, oh, well, you could do this for you, that for you. And I'm like, okay, thanks for your time. Go to the this. And then in my head, I remembered, okay, well, I've been on a Mew. I've been on three different ships. I know there's more to the Navy instead of just RPs and corpsmen. So I started talking to him and talking to him. I told him my life story and stuff. And he's like, yeah, we can work with you. We can take you. I said, all right, cool, let's do that. And so next thing you know, I'm signing, uh, raising my right hand again and, you know, join the Navy Reserves. But before all that happened, I mentioned him as like, with all due respect, um, if I join the Navy Reserves, I want to be in a unit where my skills and what I've learned in the Marine Corps, weapons, radios, whatever, can easily transfer or it's going to be appreciated. Because if I go to some rinky-dink unit where I just twiddle my thumbs in the office a week and a month, I'm walking out that gate. I already have all the benefits and, you know, all the VA, the GI Bill, everything. This is just simply me wanting to pass on what I already know and be an asset. I don't want to just be a number or like another small cog in the machine of whatever this machine is. So thankfully there was a, at that time it was called CRS. Now it's a Maritime Security Squadron uh, over in Alameda and been with them ever since and I loved it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That is definitely awesome to uh, to hear. Um, so, at what point did uh, you end up becoming uh, an officer? So, initially, uh, I was a reservist at that time, and growing up, I had like a weird fascination with the state of Alaska. I think it was more or less like kind of like the barrenness, the cold. I've always loved the cold and the snow and stuff like that. We don't get any of that here in the Bay Area ever. And, you know, making the trips up to Tahoe and stuff, I was like, I love the snow, I love the cold, and just the kind of like the wilderness and being really close with nature. I was like, I love Alaska. And we came back from this job site about an hour and a half away. It was my third day, and it was just rainy, and I was... And we're pulling all these cables under the streets and stuff for this uh, college up there. And I came home one day, and I was just watching Alaska State Troopers on Netflix. And I just was sitting there 11 o'clock at night, and I was like, why the fuck don't I do this? And continued watching it for a few more minutes, and I was like, you know what, fuck that, I'm going to do this. So I applied online that night, and I'm like, hey, I'm interested, you know, whatever, like, I'm here to apply. Next morning, I got the letters and everything. Oh, okay, cool, you want to apply? Cool, awesome, this is all the steps you got to take. And applying for law enforcement in any state, any capacity, it's a bitch ton of paperwork man it is yeah, I've had it's asinine. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a lot of paperwork right and so this is 2019 and i sent up all my letters sent up everything and got to the point like hell yeah dude we're, we'll take you come to anchorage 
and uh, knock out everything, the the physical fitness tests, the backgrounds, the medical everything. So uh, I came up to a point where I was up there and knocked out the you know the physical fitness test, knocked out the medical and stuff, and then it came down to the polygraph. And the Alaska State Troopers takes its polygraph very, very seriously. I'm sitting in that chair for five hours, just strapped up, you know, yes or no, yes or no, right? Mm-hmm. And long story short, he asked me a question about my past. And I already answered it honestly during the background phone call because you have to do three, four hours to talk to the background investigator about, you know, your life history and you fill out the packet. Did I do this? Yes. Did I do this? No. I told him what happened and I told him the truth like the background investigator already knew. That was already on my file. He wrote that down. Next thing you know, as I'm leaving, I get a call from the like recruitment lieutenant who him and I were super cool with, you know, very professional hands, very positive dude. He's like, hey, I'm sorry to let you know, but uh, you, uh, you failed the polygraph. And I said, what do you mean? How did I fail? And then he went into explanation about, oh, because of this happened, because he wrote it down. I said, well, that doesn't make any sense because I was telling the truth. And if you look at my background file, it's in there. And he's like, okay. And then he, you know, was looking through the files like, okay, so the policy with the Alaska State Troopers is that if you fail the polygraph, if anything gets written down during the polygraph, it's like an automatic failure. Mm-hmm. I, and so I was like, okay, so where do I go from here? Because I still very much want to, you know, be an Alaska State Trooper. He's like, oh, well, you can apply again next year and it's nothing negative towards you. It happens sometimes. And we'll take you back. And I was like, cool. All right. So I came back from anchorage back home and i was kind of down in the dumps about it I'm like fuck man like i busted my ass for like you know six seven months and here i am being told no and stuff like that and so i was kind of back in that mindset of like when i got out of the marine corps fuck dude like i'm back to living life on autopilot and then a whole bunch of my friends um you know they're working at a, uh, another police department they're like hey come on come on over come on over you know blah 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 said ah let me think about it let me think about it so i called up a few of my friends from the marine corps guys and girls who law enforcement in the real world i'm not going to name names uh for like safety reasons and also kind of out of respect right um and i was like hey look like you know you got to break it down for me i still want to be a cop like why should i be a cop and like you know what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses and just be real with me and uh, one of my good friends, uh, he told me, it's like, look, man, like you have a good heart. You have the gift of gab. You can talk to people. You can help people and stuff like that. Not a lot of officers who are not in the military who were in the military don't have that. And I was like, all right, cool. And another one said, like, I can tell, like, you're going to be an, you're going to be a good officer because you legitimately care about people and helping people and not just getting the job done. And that's how I've always been in my life. Even in the Marine Corps, like I used to joke around, hey, let's I ever see another Marine or sailor like going shit like visibly i'm like hey man like let, let's let's go up to the smoke pit man let, let, let's go up and uh smoke and talk about it you know that was a little verbiage i kind of like yeah. thrown around there in the <laughs> let's, let's go and smoke and talk about it you know what's, what's going on man let's, let's talk and let's bullshit right and it's small stuff like that you know like that i actually you know enjoy helping people and you know got that little servant's heart in me and stuff like to go out and help people no matter what and uh, that's why I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to apply this police department nearby where, you know, a few of my friends, are, a few people I've known growing up that are over there. Applied over there, told them everything, and, you know, everything went smooth. Everything went well. And next thing you know, I'm in the police academy. <laughs> and uh, I remember in the police academy in the beginning because 
there's kind of military they call them rtos uh they're like the drill instructors or whatever kind of mm -hmm. not necessarily and you know i'm over here yes sir no sir da, 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 da. one of them one of the sergeants is like wow you're screaming real loud it's like you're in the military yes sir he's like oh i could tell i could tell right there right there and then my name got known <laughs> from that point on and um you know i went through the academy uh it was really long because i think in the state of california it's like a minimum of like 800 900 hours in a police academy and because i was working with a specific city we had a longer police academy so we had like 1200 hours of training as well as a little bit of caveats in the end so went through the academy uh you know i did the best i could I, there's a i had a lot of pitfalls but you know i kept my head up and you know my my specific you know instructor whatever you want to call it like they knew me and they sat down and talked to me and it's like you're gonna do good it's just you gotta like you gotta kind of focus on yourself and a few of the marine corps veterans in my class and you know army pull me aside uh one of my good friends he's still over there he's like hey look man like i love you to death man but whenever you're struggling you go back into that whole marine corps mentality where it's like uh whenever you're nervous anxious or apprehensive about something the marine corps teaches you to just you know shoot through it just with aggressive tenacity with that energy just push through it and that's cool in the military you know if you want to clear a room if you want to do something quick and fast where you got to kind of overcome your nerves and you just get the job done but in the real world especially in law enforcement you can't go in with just pure energy. You have to kind of stop, reassess the situation, look around, understand your surroundings, understand what you have, your capabilities, understand who you have next to you, understand who you have, you know, what options are available to you. That pure energy, that pure just rushing into a room that the kind of teaches you, it's more of a hindrance in the real world, especially in law enforcement, than it is a benefit. So with that, a lot of my time, in the academy and even out on the streets it was more like i have to compose myself i have to hold in you know the emotions the uh, the being unsure about a situation the being apprehensive the trying to figure out though you know control my energy control my stress from whatever so working the streets i i loved my team um you know I, I did the best i could at the end uh it wasn't it wasn't for me there's a I didn't, there wasn't a, like a bad situation or a good situation. Um, basically, uh, an incident happened where I wasn't like the person they're interested in, but I was just a witness to it and stuff. And so based off that, I kind of, um, I, I don't want to say like I became a victim of like the good old boys or whatever, but basically like uh, my reputation or whatever, my name kind of like banked down below like it did in the Marine Corps. And so I left that department and stuff um back then i was like really like had animosity but you know it is what it is i'll just buckle down and move forward and figure out my next thing and so my next step in life where i'm at right now is that i'm doing everything in my capacity in order to bounce back from that both finishing my degree in psychology as well as bettering myself and becoming you know a better sailor in the navy reserves which is like recently i just got promoted to e5 in the navy and that's a big thing for me I'm also a lot much more closer to finishing my degree. So now I've had the degree. I'm still active and, you know, busting my butt in the Navy. And so that way, when I'm ready to come back into this career field, it'll, I can bounce back from this uh, event that happened to me where I, I don't want to say like I'm free of blame or whatever, but at the same time, you know, it's like I was just, you know, the person that they're interested in.
Right. Yeah. I mean, everything happens to everybody, you know. So it. Yeah. It'll, you'll you'll get out of it too, but um, I also wanted to ask you, uh, why did you choose uh, psychology when you when you started going back to school? So um, I want to say like my last um, uh, my third phase of FTO. I was working the same area I was always working, but with a different team. So for the city, uh, there's three phases. You have your first phase, second phase, and your third phase. And so your first phase is kind of like your home team. That's your main primary team. Kind of like think of like a homeroom classroom school. Wherever other classes you go to, that's the one you always go back to. That's like your primary instructors. That's your primary team. So my third phase, I was working days. I originally started swings, which is the afternoon. And so me and my instructor, you know, love him to death. We'll always speak highly of him wherever I go and stuff like that. Uh, for some reason, and I'm not saying like, you know, like kind of jokingly or facetiously, but we, a lot of the calls we were exposed to was um, a lot of like sex crimes, crimes involving children, domestic violence and stuff like that. Me, myself, I'm half Middle Eastern, half Hispanic. So I come from a big family, all the cousins, all the nieces and nephews, all the aunts and uncles and like that. And so when I'm going into these situations involving kids involving you know men and women who are married or had a kid together and they're not working out and they're abusive towards each other and stuff i have to go there and mediate and put someone behind you know bars and stuff that really resonates with me those these are the types of crimes that you know there has to be justice brought to them and you know children are always going to be innocent in this because they're just they're in the room they're the victims they're the witnesses and stuff like that and i've always I've loved working with kids and I've loved, you know, being around like big family events and stuff like that. Uh, having been exposed to a lot of that and kind of seeing, you know, the real world for what it is. Um, one of the hardest lessons I had to accept working as a law enforcement officer in the state of California is that you can't save everyone. Even the ones, no matter how much paperwork you put into, no matter how much, you know, you sit there, talk to them one on one get to know them, build that rapport with them. You have to accept that you can't save everyone. And that hurts because, you know, I don't want to see harm brought upon anyone. I don't want to see violence, these traumatic events being a part of someone's life, whoever they are. But you can only do so much in a law enforcement capacity. And in order to be successful and, you know, keep a clear and conscious mind and, you know, take care of your mental health, you have to disassociate with everything you're uh, surrounded with and exposed to. I chose the psychology route because I figured out like my niche thing, like, you know, I want to be, you know, you know, like a sex crimes, child crimes detective and stuff. That's, that's where I know that, you know, the hardships, the paperwork, the long hours, the getting to know people, exposing myself to these horrendous things. That's where I will feel, I don't want to say kind of an ego statistic kind of way, but I know in my heart that, I did what I could and I did the best that I could. I dotted my I's and I crossed my T's and I did everything I could. And it's up to the state and the judicial system and all that to, you know, work their magic and see what happens next. But as long as I know that I did everything in my power that I could and I was, you know, attentive towards my paperwork, my documents and hearing this side, his side, her side, whatever the case may be, that I'm doing something bigger than myself. Right, yeah, I'm and, just finding fulfillment in it, too. Yeah, the psychology degree really helps out because uh, in the academy, we were told that there was this, like, little experiment where the captain lieutenant came in and was talking to us kind of, you know, plain clothes and just talking to us, like, 
you know, human to human, not just rank to rank. And he said that, um, you know, who has an admin of justice or criminal justice degree? And a lot of people in the class raise their hand. And he's like, okay, who has a degree outside of law enforcement or you know, ports or anything like that? Only a few people raise their hand. Some used to work EMTs. Some, you know, they were doing something completely different before that, or some just got out of college. And he said that admin of justice and criminal justice degrees, there are a dime a dozen in the law enforcement world. The real ones that are going to stick out, the real golden tickets, is going to be psychology, sociology, and like anything to do with humans, the mind, and studying people. Because working law enforcement, it is very much a people job. You're encountered every day with people that you may never see again, or people that you're going to have to deal with on the daily basis. So with a psychology degree, that's where I want to like, you know, hone in my skills. I want to be able to understand people, read people, not like in an ego way or like a malicious way, but help me in my career and help me become a better person. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, it's definitely good stuff to, to learn. I think a lot of people will, uh, push college off to the, to the side. Um, but it, it definitely has its applications when it comes to certain degrees and uh, its usefulness and how much it'll really uh, it'll really apply in just daily life. Like, like something like psychology and, and law enforcement, definitely it definitely will apply. Yeah. And how long was it till you ended up getting accepted into the into the reserves? And were I, I guess were you juggling both? Like doing law enforcement and the reserves, or was that more towards you got to the point you were in school? Uh, no. So I joined the Navy reserves. Like I, after all the paperwork and stuff, it was it was a pretty quick process and stuff. I joined the Navy reserves. Uh, like I rose my right hand and I was officially like sworn in in May 29th. And so I was working there as a reservist. You know, the weekends sometimes at our unit instead of like doing two days a month, we do like we have a dark month. And then we have one month, which is like four days. So we're actually like knocking more out in four days instead of just in a two-day period. Because a lot of what the reserves, what they don't tell you, is that usually what they try and do in the reserves is that they want you to knock out all the admin work, which is it's a lot harder as a reservist if you're just checking it. Excuse me. It's a lot harder as a reservist just checking in because a lot of the admin stuff that you remember both active duty that's taken care of by you know the admin marines or the civilian contractors working up you know doing the actual paperwork and drafting everything and all this stuff whereas the reservists regardless of branch all the admin stuff is dependent on you like you have to do it you have to update your address you have to make sure your gtcc is good you have to take care of your orders you have to route your own dts travel plans everything and on top of that, you have to also fill out your quarterly trainings, your quarterly admin. Okay, has everyone been up to date with this PowerPoint? Has everyone been up to date with this, uh, you know, this course? Has everyone, you know, been signed off here and there? And it sounds good, like in theory, like, okay, there's a solid plan. But you also have to remember, like, maybe some guy, he can't show up to this uh, because of some work commitment. He can't show up this month. So a lot of the weekends, that's a lot of admin and catching up. Unless there's a specific plan about like this is what we're gonna teach, this is what we're gonna do, this is what we're gonna work on. Right. Um, going back to your question about how did I, you know, the reserves mix in with the police academy? I actually took a year off of the reserves, not literally, but also kind of. I told my chain of command, "Hey, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Uh, I'm gonna be excused for this." So what I did, I took all my days for the year and I pushed them all to the left. So I actually was drilling 
for I want to say about a week, week and a half. So then that way I can fulfill my you know yearly requirements. But instead I push them all to the left. So before I go to the academy, I have nothing left for me, unless it's something urgent, serious, that I have to show up for on that weekend. That's pretty interesting. Just hearing how all that mixes in, and then how you're able to uh, able to do all that with yeah. um with all that. And then uh, I know you mentioned uh, you got a deployment coming up too with the with the Navy. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, when I was in the police academy, I was actually, uh, I raised my hand earlier because I didn't know if I was a sure thing or if it just, I was like going to be, you know, you know, if I was going to be picked or not. But one of the companies in our unit, uh, they're scheduled for deployment. And I raised my hand for that well before I went into the police academy. And then as time progressed and I was going through the police academy, they're like, hey, you got selected. You got selected. Are you ready to go? You ready to go? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Hold on. I'm actually still in the police academy finishing it up. And he's like, oh, well, well uh, like, do you, do you still want to go? Like, do you want to put it on the back burner? Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And at that time, I was like, you know what? Like, this is something I'm actively working towards uh, in my civilian career. This is something I actually, like, am, you know, hunkering down and focusing on. This is where all my time and attention is pulled towards. So I was like, I'm going to have to back out of this deployment. And so they were kind of a little bit pessimistic about it. They're like, one of their guys, he works LAPD for eight years and he's still a reservist. He's like, he talked to me, he called me. He's like, so like, what's going on, man? Like, what, what are you trying to do? And stuff like that. Not like in a negative way, but like just trying to figure out where I'm at in life. And I was like, hey, look, uh, like, you know, I'm still going through the academy. I'm about to graduate. Um, it's, you know, like you were in the academy for LAPD at one point. Um you know where like my mindset is and you understand what I'm going through. And it's like, it's not like that I'm telling the military to like go F itself, but at the same time, I got to focus on my own priorities right now. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. I'll understand. I'll explain that to the higher ups and stuff like that. I was like, cool. And so another deployment recently came up with another company within our unit. And so I raised my hand for that and they picked me up instantly. And I've been going to all these week long, month long training events with them for the workups and stuff. And this is something that I'm actually like full steaming. Like, I'm like, nah, like I, I'm going to commit to the military because this is the for sure thing that's happening in my life right now. I was like, cool. So with this deployment coming up, we're actually going to spend a year uh, over, uh, you know, can't really, uh, uh, East, East Africa, spending a year over there. Well, more like eight months, but the workups is also like six months and stuff. So mm -hmm. we're going to be over there. Uh, doing our thing, training, and getting full qualification for all our guys, doing our missions out there. Yeah. And, you know, one thing they don't tell you as a reservist is that, like, when you deploy as a reservist, you're actually collecting BAH at a sergeant's rate, regardless. Well, if, if you're lower than a sergeant, if you're higher, you get more. So, actually, I'm going to be earning my time in, time in rank and time in service pay, which is higher than most, because I've been in the military coming up on nine-ish years in uniform. And so, being gone for a year... Uh, it's really like a hard reset on life. I'm viewing this deployment like, yeah, deployment. Uh, love it. Get to teach the guys and girls. Get to work out there. Bust my butt. You know, be as good as I can be and stuff. Be an asset, not a liability. But also kind of like I need a hard reset on the, the real world right now. Because I'm kind of, um, kind of in like a hard spot right now. But I'm staying positive about it. And so that's why all my attention and all my efforts are more deployment. Not just, uh, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit, you know, all over, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. 
So, yeah, man, that's all super cool to hear about. Um, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you're juggling a lot. <laughs> it It is a lot. It is a lot. And um, what's kind of cool about it is that, like, you know, it, it keeps me it keeps me focused. It keeps me driven towards something, you know. It keeps me active towards something I actually legit enjoy. I actually legit happy about. Um, what I'm planning to do, I'm planning to maybe continue a class or two while I'm out there, you know, online, figure it out, you know, getting closer and closer towards my degree. And at the same time, you know, working my butt in, you know, the military, the Navy reserves and stuff like that, you know, teaching all these cool stuff, getting all these qualifications, you know, I recently, uh, finished my, uh, you know, qualifications and testing for, to become like a line coach. So when I was just recently up in uh, San Diego, I was actually, uh, helping on the like gun line, teaching sailors, you know, the 240 and the 50, teaching them how to shoot it, you know, condition codes and stuff like that, you know, get 100, 200 rounds on range and get them through specifics, working gun jams and stuff like that and weapons malfunctions, both nice. day and night. Yeah, yeah, nice. That's sick. Yeah, I th yeah, staying busy, especially for people that are out or getting out, so, so important because as soon as we hit that lull and I don't know. It's just, it's like, uh, it's like crashing for me. I, I can't really do, uh, like time off. I don't know if it's just, I don't know. Cause the, the pace in life has been so quick and I was constantly going, going, going and doing stuff that like when I'm sitting there with nothing to do, I'm kind of just like, uh, what the fuck, you know what I mean? And it's just, I don't know. I, cause I got like two weeks coming up cause it's the end of the summer semester for me. And then I'm rolling right into, uh, fall and i'm just sitting here and i'm like oh all right well uh what the fuck am i gonna do i mean i stay in the gym every day and i'm doing you know extra stuff just trying to learn as much as i can about my degree but it's still just yeah. having too much free time for me is just a bad thing and i know with other people too it's a it usually can be uh not really too productive and people kind of just get lost and stuff but being out yeah. and uh, being out on deployment too, and just even if you're still in like doing school, I always try and and preach this because dudes really don't realize doing one or two classes while you're in for a semester, especially using TA, it is not that hard like at all. Like it would surprise you how easy this shit really can be. And um, yeah. once you get further into like your actual degree doing stuff, yeah, the the pace kind of picks up a little bit. But I, I I'm probably i'm in my technically in my third year of college now mm -hmm. and well yes doing this summer semester i started my third year and it's really it's uh kind of surprised me how uh unchallenging it's uh it's been but it definitely um <laughs> that, no i mean like honestly it kind of has but um yeah i honestly wish i would have done some of this in, in while i was still in because being out now because like at the time everybody's like yeah fuck school everybody joins the, like avoid school and but like moving thinking into the future and stuff you can definitely knock out like a ton of your gen eds while you're in and that way when you're out you're just doing stuff for your degree and like because the gen eds are so fucking stupid and it's like i wish i would have just knocked them out while i was still in because i would just be that much further and you know closer to getting the fuck out of here and just working and have my degree so i definitely yeah. um i definitely preach that to dudes that are still in that might be listening to this like just go to the go to the education center 
set up set up your TA, do like one or two classes. It's really it's not that tough. Like it really isn't. And you can Yeah. Like yeah, I I really wish I would have done um some more classes while I was still in. Yeah. No, definitely... I I completely agree with you on that. I wish I've, you know, I wish I would have uh if I can go back in time and talk to myself, I'd have been like, "Hey, look, man, just focus on school, just do one class, at least knock out some gen ed." Yeah. Um, for me in high school, I don't know about you, maybe other listeners and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of uh, my school, like I did great in some areas and I did not so great in other areas. Um, I basically, I, I passed. That's what I'm going to say. I graduated. How about that? I graduated <laughs> high school. I didn't like graduate with marks, right? Emphasis on graduated, all capitals, oh, same, you know, right? parentheses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm the same but, way. I was not a star student. I, yeah. I got, I got through. <laughs> I survived. <laughs> yeah. Looking back on uh, high school, though, um, there was a lot of, like, imposter syndrome and stuff like that that, like, kind of swallowed me whole. And, uh, you know, it, it really affected me in my math classes, and it kind of pushed onto, you know, my other areas, my strong suit stuff. So then school became more of a headache than it did, like, uh, like oh, yeah, I'm actually going to enjoy and value this, which I did myself a disservice. I learned my lesson the hard way, and now I'm moving forward. Um, for those of you who don't know, imposter syndrome is basically, like, when you have this mindset where you're like, oh my God, I'm not meant for this. I can never learn this. I, I can't comprehend this subject, this lesson, this formula being taught in front of me. And then when that you know idea starts, that negative thought of yourself starts to manifest, it starts to uh, trickle down and stuff and it starts to like, you know, affect you in school and stuff where you start to feel like this isn't meant for me. This isn't my strong suit and I can't do this, you know? I've had that uh, plenty of times, man. Like, honestly, I have. And the thing that I think is important for people to realize is that it's pretty fucking normal for, like, everybody. And there's so many resources and stuff that everybody can use, and I'm sure you've used. Like, I use uh, YouTube a lot. And same with um, just Googling stuff or even uh, just punching questions into chat GPT. It's an amazing tool. <laughs> I mean, people think it's like, oh, just for answers, but like, no, it is like genuinely an amazing tool. It, it, it's basically like yeah. a personal tutor. It'll explain anything to you. And yeah. like, you can just, yeah, check your answers and stuff to like, you know, make sure you're getting it right. But at the same time, while it's doing that, it'll explain it to you so that you're not just getting like, oh, what's the answer to that? It's like explaining how to get yeah. the answer and stuff. So, and for me, like tutors at school has always been a pain in the ass because it, they just, I don't know, like a lot of the time, like no offense to, to, I'm not trying to sound offensive saying this, but a lot of the time they're like foreign kids and their English sucks. So it's like yeah. tough to uh, try and talk to these guys and really, you know, get like the explanation. I mean, some people, the they're great tutors and, other times, yeah, it's it's kind of hit and miss, but there's definitely like a ton, a ton, a ton of resources, and even at like making friends with other vets and stuff that are in your classes, or even just like genuinely like good kids, you can just talk to them, you know, get their contact information, and be like, hey man, uh, I'm kind of confused on this question for the homework or for the whatever it is, and you know, yeah, if they're a good dude, they'll be like, oh, yeah, dude, I got you, you know, and they'll explain stuff to you and help you out with it. Like, I've met a good couple of uh, people here that I'm still friends with that, uh, that they weren't in the military or anything, you know, we're just friends and stuff. But yeah, it, it's definitely easier to talk to another vet. 
Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, like, as cheesy as it sounds, man, just sitting in, like, the little veteran's office, little hangout spot, whatever, you know, have your free little monster or water bottle. It does help out a lot. And because, you know, you, you regardless of branch, regardless of, you know, you know uniform or whatever, there is that, like, bond and that is that kind of, like, struggle that everyone kind of, you know, you know, kind of, like, circles around and understands and stuff. Because we all understand, maybe not the exact, like, oh, what's it like being in the field in the middle of summer in Camp Lejeune compared oh, yeah. to how does that, you know, relate to, okay, you're on a submarine or, oh, hey, you're, you're up in Washington or, you know, you're up in, you know, let's say Nebraska or whatever and stuff like that. But there is that kind of understanding, like I mentioned and stuff, and that kind of deep respect that we have for each other and stuff. Maybe oh, not yeah. like, you know, maybe you're running some assholes. Yeah, don't get me wrong, but that same kind of like level of you know i i understand the language you're speaking i i get the i exactly, get the background yeah. you're from yeah yeah just the yeah. way you talk and stuff to people you know you sit you talk to you talk the way that we talk to some people sometimes and you know some people yeah. are kind of like they they fuck with it and then other times they'll they'll look at you and be like what the fuck is wrong with you you know what i mean and yeah but yeah, I, uh, it's, I, it's nice I completely get that too and stuff like that. And a little bit of a culture shock though. It's cause oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm 28 years old right now and stuff. And I'm, you know, one of the biggest culture shocks is like when I'm going to my English and psychology classes, they're like, Oh my God, it must've been so traumatic and hard, you know, you know, having to go to high school and graduate during COVID. And I'm sitting here like, what the hell are you talking about? Like I was working a job construction, you know, during COVID, I was going to these job sites, you know, getting yelled at by the OSHA safety people because I'm not wearing a mask. And I'm like, it's 100 degrees and I'm in a, I'm in an air duct and I'm working, pulling these cables. The hell you'd like worried about me yeah. wearing a mask? I'm surrounded by nowhere. Yeah, literally. Yeah. And then, yeah, on top of that, it's like, if I get this shit, let it kill me. I don't care, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. <need> a favor. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I remember hearing that too. And I was just kind of rolling my eyes, thinking to myself, that's, you know, yeah, having COVID during high school sucks. But at the same time, you know, it's not the end of the world. And, you know, it, it was still kind of when I started college two, three years ago now in 2021. It, there, it was still, you know, COVID was just ending and stuff, and people were, you know, they're quote-unquote traumatized from it, but uh, it didn't really, I mean, I was, uh, yeah, it, it just, it was definitely not, I, I was just kind of yeah. sitting there thinking to myself, this is, uh, this is a little funny, and yeah, what, yeah just having to deal with it in the military, too. Yeah, speaking on the military, man, uh, like, I remember you were mentioning earlier before we started, uh, you were, like, looking into the reserves and you're going on about doing some drill weekends. What's up with that? Basically, yeah, I I listened to, honestly, uh, I listened to a lot of the Mill podcasts. I don't know if anybody anybody listens to that or fucks with it. It's basically yeah. um, the guy that runs it was a prior lieutenant colonel, and he uh, interviews all these officers and stuff, and... You know, at first, at first, uh, when I first heard this, I thought, you know, it's gonna be some Kool Aid type of shit. You know what I mean? Uh, I know yeah, everybody, mean, yeah. yeah, everybody, enlisted side type kind of guys know exactly what I mean by that. All this, you know, bullshit, you know, moto nonsense and things that everybody kind of tunes out from the get go. But the more I listened to it, I'm not gonna lie, the more interesting it really was hearing that whole perspective. Uh, 
from all the things that they talk about. And honestly, it was just interesting listening to it. And it, it wasn't anything that I thought it would be. And from a, if I was still in from an educational um, or I guess like a PME view of it, it, it mm-hmm. definitely would have been something that would have been very important and impactful for me to hear as a Marine and definitely would have made me kind of, kind of taken me back for a second and made me think bigger picture and made me understand some more of why things are the way they are. And at the same time too, it, it was just interesting hearing all the backgrounds that some of these officers uh, have that are on it and just hearing all the insightful, it, it's just weird because we don't, talk about any of that stuff like i never heard any of my officers really talk about any of the things that they talk about on the on that uh podcast and i don't know i just thought it was interesting it was really it was a whole different side to uh officers that i never really was exposed to but i don't really understand why too but um yeah i uh I always heard him say, you know, the reserves, like, give it a shot. You know, you can do it as non-obligations. And basically, if you don't know what that is, it's basically uh, you can literally go there and be in the reserves for the Marine Corps on the condition of I quit and can literally just dip out and check out your unit. I had some buddies that did it. And, you know, for for some of them, uh, they liked it. For other people, they were like, yeah, this isn't for me. Um and, yeah. you know, I just kind of, because I heard a lot of back and forth about it, and I kind of was like, I was listening to one of his podcasts one time, and they were talking about this stuff, and I just was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to try this. And I hit up, uh, I was at an IRR thing, actually, and they were talking about the unit possibly doing a deployment down to the border to uh, help Border Patrol and stuff, and yeah, I was I like, know. yeah, fuck it, I'm going to do it. Well, you know, I threw my hand up, and... You know the the uh, prior service recruiters like Velociraptors came in through the through the crowd. And, you know afterwards when I was talking to the first sergeant and uh, you know I went down. I did it. It was hot as hell. We were doing the uh, annual call for uh, the new the Marine Corps new uh, the new annual call down at Quantico. July. Yeah, it's like the new. It's totally different now, man. It's insane. It's it's like completely yeah. different. It's honestly good though. It's like the the new layout of it's really good uh i think it's a lot more realistic and practical other than than uh what it used to be and uh you know hot july day in quantico and hot as hell and humid as hell and but um you know i didn't really mind it because you know i i had it in mind too you know people around me they were complaining and stuff but i had it in the back of my head you know that this is only two days and then i'm going back and i have a month off if you know that's if i decide to continue to do this so yeah. it didn't really bother me and then you know just being around the guys too it was cool because it surprised me honestly really did surprise me how many um prior active dudes are in it, it like there was a ton of prior active dudes and it blew blew my mind honestly and i was talking to all these guys and asking them like why why they're doing this stuff and just hearing, you know, what they thought and, you know, talking to some of these junior guys, too, that uh, that are in it and just hearing their um, hearing about their lives and stuff and what they do outside of this. And it really is like people coming from all ki- kinds of different backgrounds. Like there was one guy that was uh, he was a manager at uh, some 
some manufacturing plant, but he was making 200,000 a year. And it was like, what are you doing this? You know, you know, like you're doing this. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just interesting to hear about and uh, talk to all these guys. It's definitely very different from the fleet, but uh, I've only done one drill, so I can only really, uh, I can't really gauge a uh, really comprehensive kind of opinion about what it is, but it definitely is uh, all the bullshit, all the, the cool shit without the bullshit, as he says, because um, <laughs> because they're, they're for real. There just isn't time. Like there for real is no time to waste because you only have a few days doing it, and you know it's not. Um, there isn't time to to do all that nonsense that kind of pushed everybody out and just. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd I'd encourage anybody to give it a try at least. And this is coming from somebody that was as disgruntled as it gets. Like, all you guys, anybody that actually knew me, you know, definitely knew how done I was with the Marine Corps. And, you know, even, you know, I guess from the outside perspective of seeing the shit that I post and that I would, uh, you know, talk about, you'd probably confer that I was uh, very, very disgruntled. But, yeah, man, I just, times change. And looking back and reflecting, it, it's not as bad as... uh we think in the moment, you know, there's a lot of times where you'll be reminiscing about things, almost wishing you could do it again. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd give it a chance if anybody's uh, thinking about it, but getting yeah. again, getting out and then just being able to self-reflect and look back on the things that, uh, cause I used to complain a lot. Like anybody that knows me, <laughs> like actually knows who I am. The, I used to complain all the time about every little fucking thing it literally got to the point where my friends were like dude you need to stop completely like, shut up late and but yeah getting out looking back i realized a lot of the things that i used to complain about all the time really weren't that big a deal and i was just kind of you know in my head being a little more miserable than i probably should have had should have been yeah but um I, yeah it's i get that yeah go ahead oh no i mean i was gonna say yeah it's it's an interesting experience i would uh yeah, it's different, but it's um, it's not the worst thing in the world. And uh, you definitely get to still mentor and teach these guys. And what's surprising is a lot of these guys uh, that don't want to be there will just straight up go UA and the units, like, they don't care because it's it's just different. They don't have time to deal with it, and we'll just send them their OTH after they've been gone for a certain amount of drills. And then the dudes that do want to be there, like, they want to learn. They want to train. They want to... You know, they they want to they want to be the Marine that they can be for, you know, the few days out of every month that they they want to. And I remember being in and being active duty and we used to think reserves were, you know, garbage, complete bullshit. Like these guys are just cannon fodder. But it, it's interesting, the the people that are in it, it it kind of balances out in a way because, yeah, they might do some things some ways, but as NCOs coming from the fleet and if you like actually want to be there and you actually want to train and stuff you you can be like hey you know like you could put your opinion in and they actually give a shit and they'll actually take you seriously like there's a whole uh nco panel um that talks directly to the chain of command and basically we come together we give all our input on how things went and uh things that we need to work on for the next one things we need to talk to our guys about and then um, these guys actually made the teep for uh, the entire year. Uh, they made like 80% of it or 85% of it. 
and it's that's basically good. all yeah it's basically all nco ran and basically a teep if anybody doesn't know it's uh like the training plan but um yeah these guys all uh the ncos literally designed it and the chain command was like yeah let's send it sounds good you know they we yeah. gave they they gave their little brief this was before i was there but they gave their little brief on like all these training exercises they wanted to do and why and uh they're like yeah let's do it so i don't know i i think it's interesting i don't know if i'll uh, my my rr is almost up anyway but uh but yeah i don't i don't know i've been uh thinking about it a lot like heavily and uh yeah i don't know i I might stick with it. I guess it kind of just depends where uh, I'm at with cybersecurity because I, I ultimately life's kind of pulling me in a different direction now. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. I'm just gonna see where it goes. I suppose. I would say though, like you mentioned earlier, where uh, there's reservists out there who are doing other stuff in the real world and stuff. Uh, my experience with the reserves is that um, there's a lot of guys um, who do a lot of like cool, amazing stuff in the civilian world, like some that are like you know border patrol some are law enforcement officers some you know work emt and uh you know i wish the reserves would kind of incorporated a lot more because it'd be much more of a big pot of knowledge we can all share around and actually understand and you know mesh with our civilian world is like and i i know that uh the reserves is really kind of picking up on it but not fast enough is that if you have like let's say a, a reservist marine reservist sailor national guardsman whatever and in the real world there, you know, let's say they're a nurse or they're a, like a working EMT, firefighter, you know, cop, whatever, something that can easily translate or transfer over to into the reserves. We should actually be going to that sailor, that reservist guardsman and actually kind of like going to him for knowledge and stuff like that, because what he knows, he does it every day in the real world. Let's not limit our guys and gals who are just stuck based off their MOS. For yeah. example, if MOS is like, let's say, if if your MOS is, I don't know, fucking water purification or something, or, you know, candle wax maker or some bullshit like that. But in the real world, you look at them and you're like, okay, what do you do in the real world? Oh, yeah, uh, I run a cybersecurity company. Or, oh, yeah, I do uh, data networking for, you know, this fucking bank systems that I make over, you know, 200,000 a year. Let's go to that Marine or that sailor and be like, hey, uh, if you're doing this in the civilian world, how easy is it for you to pick up these Cisco NADA networking? Or like, let's say if the guy or gal's a EMT, hey, you've dealt with, you know, more gunshot wounds or, you know, broken bones and shit like that. Bones sticking out, compound fractures or like a sailor or like, you know, someone going through a stroke in the real world. What knowledge do you have to pass during this class and stuff? I don't like how the military restricts knowledge based off someone's MOS or job. I think that if there's a pool of knowledge and experience that can be shared around, that can only benefit us. But the military, you know, for what it's worth, it's kind of stuck in its ways a lot, which I understand. It's tried and true. And I mean, we had 20 years, Iraq and Afghanistan to understand these things. But how a SWAT team or a police officer team clears a room is a lot different than, you know, a basic Lance Corporal straight out of SOI. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I, I just thought it was interesting, too, because the more I was talking to all these guys and just uh, even the chain of command, guy, uh, I was talking to them and just hearing all these different backgrounds and everybody kind of bring it's like a giant crock pot of just different skill sets that all kind of come to the table and past experiences and stuff too. And it just always, I don't know. It's just interesting. 
You know, it, you'd, you'd think the reserves are just utter garbage, and it's actually kind of balanced. It's really, it's not as bad as people think. I mean, yes, sure, some they're understaffed as hell. Like any t any uh, reserve unit, I feel like is uh really understaffed. But I think it makes up for uh, the the people and the quality of people that are in it. It definitely, yeah. it definitely kind of balances out too. And then, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I think it's really, uh, it's kind of interesting. And then, um, there's just a ton of different, uh, experiences that you can do. And, and, um, yeah, you can go and do a lot of things that like the courses and stuff, uh, they're sped up. They're, they're condensed because like sergeant's course or AIMC or, you know, with all the other courses and stuff that we'd go to in the fleet, they're condensed because, you know, it's on a time period or a time yeah. hack. And, um, there's just, there isn't time for the extra bullshit. They just want to teach you what you need to know. And then, you know, send you back to wherever you are and get back to your, your job or school or whatever it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, another thing too, is the pay actually is not, you, you it's kind of, I mean, it's not like crazy. I'm not going to, make it sound like you get paid crazy good but it kind of surprised me I, I did four days and i left with like 550 bucks and i was like really that's that's how much you got really you know and the farther away you are too they'll uh <laughs> they'll pay you uh for for travel fees too so it's yeah you know the uh yeah the pay side of it too and doing the ats like the annual trainings um you're there every single day and i think uh i don't know if the bah transfers over to that or however it is but dudes will leave two weeks of training with like two three grand or uh, around that sometimes it's just like yeah. holy shit really like that's yeah. about I, you know double what i'd have made in the fleet for two weeks <laughs> like i just uh, left uh i just left uh three weeks in san diego just recently and uh made about three thousand five hundred and stuff yeah so. that's that's kind of crazy yeah that's a lot of yeah. money for, for the military that's a lot of money it is a lot of money and you know everything's kind of taken care of for you the flights and stuff the hotel yeah. the cars and everything it's super cool i mean granted you're i'm working like a dog you know but you know it's still cool to get out there and you know be background guys and you know guys and gals who for the most part i hope <laughs> love their job and love you know being part of this community and stuff yeah absolutely man i don't know yeah and, i'd encourage anybody to uh to give it a try if you know if they miss it that much and yeah. You know, they've been bouncing around in their head, you know, maybe try it. I mean, just hit up a PSR, do non-obligation. If you hate it, just be like, yeah, I want to dip back to the IRR. And yeah. that's that. They can't say no. And honestly, it sounds kind of messed up, but they honestly expect you to because uh, a lot of the prior active dudes will try it and then dip out. But, you know, there's there's a good amount of people that will stick around too, though. It's interesting. I think, it, I think it's interesting, honestly. Yeah, it's super interesting. One big thing, though, that uh, for any of the listeners, if you do go to like a weekend drill or if you do sign up, don't go in with the mindset that you're going to find, you know, your friends from active duty or whatever in the reserves. Uh, one big thing that like that doesn't get mentioned a lot is that like a lot of the animosity that active duty guys go in there when they do that, like non-obligation is. And I understand it fully. And the only way I can describe it is, is that like if you come from active duty and you go to reserves, don't try and, you know, find your friend from active duty and someone else. Like, for example, if you have a friend, you know, Joe Smith or whatever, you know, Benjamin Bunn, I don't know. And if you, like, go to these, this guy reminds me of this or this guy reminds me of that. 
you're kind of doing yourself a disservice, really, because Honestly, you're trying. Honestly, yeah. You're trying to like, okay, this is who I can relate with, or this person reminds me of this. Nah, go out there, experience new people, experience new faces, experience new, you know, trains of thought and thought processes. Yeah, it's different. It's not like the fleet. It definitely is is not like the fleet at all. It's it's got its own um, kind of. I don't know if you could say culture, but uh, it, it's definitely it's more laid back. You're not gonna find the the same type of stuff that you'd see on the daily. The the same type of nonsense that would like piss everybody off. And um, yeah, you're you're not gonna. It, it's different. It is. Uh, if, if I would if I had more time in the RR, I probably would stick around longer than I probably will end up sticking around for. But you, you really yeah. you just go and train, and then you know. You come back, go back to wherever you're from. So it's, you know, and you can definitely get close with some of these guys that are like all these active duty or prior active guys that I was talking to. Like they were cool. They were like any of my other buddies that were back that I had back in the fleet. Yeah, they're different. Like you're not going to find your same type of friend group there, but it's, uh, you meet new people, you know, new experiences, new opportunities. So I, yeah. I wouldn't, uh, yeah, I just go there with an open mindset. And, you know, if you want to try it, give it a try. If not, then, you know, keep doing whatever you're doing. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm in college right now and I have a lot of free time on the side sometimes. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this a try. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, yeah. man, it's, uh, it's been sweet. We've been talking for almost two hours now. It's been pretty interesting hearing about your life and hearing about where you're going with it and everything going on and, being able to Def talk to you about this stuff because uh yeah it's been yeah. pretty cool dude yeah man uh with all your college stuff i wish you nothing but the best of luck man yeah I man mean, you too this conversation i appreciate you you know giving me the chance to hop on here and stuff and kind of tell a little bit of my story and you know hopefully where my life is headed and you know my ups and downs my pitfalls in the marine corps my you know strides in the navy reserves and one more thing i want to tell people that uh you know Reach out to your friends, man. Oh yeah. If you're ever if you're ever struggling, if you're ever going through some mental stuff, I mean, I, you know, I still struggle here and there, you know, kind of pitfalls and stuff, you know, feeling down and feeling alone. Reach out to your buddies, man. Give them a call. Uh, you know, even with like Fitzy Mess and stuff, I talked to him on the phone a while oh, dude, ago. Dude, I got him on Snap. I interviewed him one time. He's fucking cool. Yeah, he's a <laughs> he's cool dude, ass man. dude. Yeah, I remember the first time I talked to him on the phone after reaching out to him on uh, Instagram. We're on the phone for about an hour and a half just talking the phone. I just came back from the gym, and next thing you know, I'm in my driveway, dirty as hell, still talking to him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, time kind of just disappears when you're talking to him. It's yeah, it took a just talking to like any of your buddies, too. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely catching up and talking and experiencing the world. But to the listeners, man, whatever pitfalls, whatever mental health struggles you're going through, just reach out, man talk yeah, to someone honestly if you're not someone who's going through that talk to your friends man call them up surprise them how's how's how you doing man how's school how's how's your job you know how's how's your wife and kids man like you're doing good in life man just yeah. write someone else's day man even if like even if you are struggling because people like you don't have to i mean for me because sometimes it was hard to talk about stuff. I, I literally just talking to them. It, it didn't even matter if I was really talking to them about my problems per se. But just talking to them, hearing their voices, and, you know, telling stories, bullshitting, and laughing. And, you know, yeah. oh, remember this time, remember that time. And, you know, yeah. or, you know, just hearing about what they're up to nowadays. Dude, that for me would always kind of bring me peace. 
and kind of yeah. help me calm down. You know, I'd be like, okay, gotta... I can get through another day, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I definitely agree, man. Uh, yeah. I, I'm thankful for people in my life and stuff like that, both my family, my friends, the veteran friends and stuff like that. And I have, I'm nowhere near figuring it all out. And maybe, you know, my next endeavor, I'll fail at it. Or maybe, you know, thing after that, I'll fail at it. But, you know, as long as I, you know, find my footing, as long as I keep a positive attitude, smiling, and I'm at least there for someone, that's all that matters, man. That that helps me sleep at night. That lets me know that I did a good job and I'm being a good human being, listening to other people and stuff. Yeah, man. I definitely agree. Definitely yeah. agree. But uh, yeah. yeah, dude, you got to keep in touch with me. Uh, I'd love to hear about uh, where you're at in the future and how everything, how everything's playing out for you and stuff and how, uh, <laughs> yeah, just how you're doing, man. But um, yeah, definitely. I'll, uh, reach out next time. Maybe, oh yeah, uh, down absolutely. The road. We'll do another, uh, do another episode. Yeah, I can do something, <laughs> man. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. But all right, man, Uh, everybody listening in on the show, hope you guys have a good rest of your night. Hope you guys uh, are staying safe, staying healthy, doing well in life. If you're not, it'll be okay. But all right, yeah, till next time, guys. See ya. Till next time.